Take your Bible and turn to 1 Thessalonians. This morning we're going to be looking at verses 4 and 5 in chapter 1 of 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 verses 4 and 5 like we did last week. I'm going to read through the entirety of chapter 1 beginning in verse 1 and just 10 verses through verse 10. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, there are still a few on the back table back there. Feel free to pick one up at some point during the service, sooner rather than later though, so that you can see the words that I'm about to read in front of you, so that you know that these words are not my words that I've made up, but that they've been inspired by the Holy Spirit about 2,000 years ago through the Apostle, the Apostle Paul. If you have one of those black hardcover Bibles, you're going to find the sermon text on page 1,172. Um, and if you don't have a copy of the Bible, there are, in fact, a handful of copies underneath the offering box and the table back in, in the narthex back there. Feel free to pick one of those up, take that home with you. Um, additionally, if you're sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with someone, with a neighbor, a family member, a friend, a coworker, um, and, uh, and you desire to give them a Bible, go ahead and grab one of those and give one of those to them. That would be our great pleasure. We want to be a witness to those around us, and one of the greatest ways that we can show the love of Christ to someone is by giving them the Word of God, giving them the true words spoken by the Holy Spirit to, to men and recorded, uh, recorded in the past. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, those are focus verses this morning, uh, but verses 1 through 10, I'll read all 10 of these verses. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God, the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in, in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and in Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. You'll remember last week in particular, we were talking about Paul's example of gratitude. Paul's example of gratitude here in 1 Thessalonians, we see that clearly in verse 2. If you read verse 2, he says, we give thanks to God always for all of you constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. If you see those three things that Paul lists in verse 3, their work of faith, this is what Paul remembers clearly about the Thessalonians, their work of faith, their labor of love, and their steadfastness of hope. And you'll remember last week we talked about the, the reality that one of the main themes of 1 Thessalonians is everyday faithfulness. 
What does it look like to live lives of faithful obedience in the small and seemingly insignificant stuff of life? The small things that don't seem to matter or make a whole lot of impact, like filling out a spreadsheet or changing a diaper or doing the dishes. Whatever it is in your life that you might feel like uh, seems insignificant and even can be a frustration or an irritant at times, what does it look like to be faithful in the midst of doing those small, seemingly insignificant tasks? And we saw last week that we can follow Paul's example of gratitude, and this, this is the first way that we can, we can surmise that we can live lives of everyday faithfulness. Gratitude to God for our brothers and sisters in Christ in the local church, like, like Paul expresses gratitude to God for his brothers and sisters in Christ in the church in Thessalonica. But now, as we look at verses 4 and 5, Paul gives us the how to all of this. How are, how is it that the Thessalonians are marked by works of faith, by labor of love, and by steadfastness of hope? How do you get these things? How are these things markers of your life? How is it that they are markers of the lives of the Thessalonians? And the answer is found in verses 4 and 5. And the answer is found in how the gospel came to the Thessalonians. So if we're asking, how is it that the Thessalonians are marked by those three things listed in verse 3? The answer to that question is found in what Paul unpacks in verses 4 and 5. When he says, for we know brothers loved by God that he has chosen you. Paul's first statement in verse 4 is dripping with confidence that God loves the Thessalonians and that he he chose the Thessalonians. Before we dive in this morning, if you're relatively new to to Buffalo City Church, um, you've probably even heard us use this term, and this has come across even this morning because it's right here in our text this morning, but you've likely heard us talk about the word the gospel, and it's even the highlighted section in the in what's on the screen right now for those kids filling in the kids' notes. You see that that the the answer is found in how the gospel came to the Thessalonians. What is the gospel? Sometimes we assume or make an assumption uh, that we understand what the word gospel means, and the. Word gospel uh, is a word translated from the original language that Paul was writing in, uh, and it's a word that simply means good news. And it's one word, uh, and that word has a prefix, which means good, and then the, the actual root of the word means message or news. It's the same word that we would get something like angel, and we know that angels are primarily, as a role, messengers. So the word gospel, when we say that, we mean good news. But we don't just mean any good news. We mean a specific good news. The good news that Jesus Christ came into the world, was born of a virgin in a manger in in a seemingly small and insignificant place. That Jesus Christ came into the world, um, and when we were, as people, dead in our transgressions of sin, in sins, he broke into the world, lived a life on earth 
as a man that we could not live, and he died the death that we deserve for our sin. He took our sin upon him so that all who trust in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins can be saved from the wrath to come. They'll be saved from death, and they will inherit with Christ eternal life. Those who are joined to Christ then by faith, those who trust Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins, have all of the benefits that Jesus Christ has. This is the good news that we're talking about. We're not just talking about good news that, that, uh, of, of any sort, but when we say the gospel, we mean good news, and we mean the fact that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. And so when you see that word, again, gospel, this is what Paul is talking about. At the beginning of verse 5, he says, Our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. And through this text this morning, we want to know how this good news, how this good news came to the Thessalonians. And how does it come to us? How does the good news of the gospel come to the Thessalonians here in this passage? And then how does it come to us? Spoiler alert, they're the same. So three things then that will guide our time together this morning. The first is that the gospel didn't come to the Thessalonians in word only. And secondly, that the gospel came to the Thessalonians in power and in the Holy Spirit And third, the gospel came to the Thessalonians in full conviction. You can see that clearly in verses 4 and 5 this morning, but we're going to break that down and unpack that together. Those three ideas that will be what guides our time together. So the first thing that Paul says to them after addressing them again in verse 4, we know brothers loved by God that that he has chosen you. Now, Paul says in verse 4, we know. Now, he's referring to when he says we, he's talking about both Paul and Silas who came to the and planted the Thessalonian church. And he's also talking about Timothy, who is in verse 1, given in the address. Timothy just came to the Thessalonian church and returned to Paul with a good report about what was going on in the church in Thessalonica. So, Paul says in verse 4, we know. He says it with full confidence. We know. He doesn't say we guess or we think or maybe. He says we know. Brothers loved by God that he has chosen you. Paul, how can you know that these people in Thessalonica are chosen by God, loved by God? Well, verse 5, because... Our gospel came to you, this is the first chunk this morning, first idea, our gospel came to you not only in word. Now there's a quote that gets thrown around sometimes in Christendom that is oftentimes uh, um, ascribed to a man named St. Francis of Assisi, a 12th century friar, animal enthusiast, um, overall nice guy. But the quote goes something like this. He says, preach the gospel at all times, use words if necessary. And maybe you've heard that quote. The reality, though, is that quote's not terribly helpful. And um, historians, church historians, 
think that St. Francis probably never said anything like that anyways. And the people who did say it are being misrepresented. Uh, so it's something that people have latched on to maybe more in the 21st century than did in the 12th. But what the quote does that's problematic is that it puts two ideas in conflict that shouldn't be in conflict. Two ideas in conflict. One, that preaching the, the, the gospel with words is in conflict somehow with living according to the gospel. Those two things are not in conflict. Preaching with the gospel, preaching the gospel with words and living according to the gospel are two parts of a whole. And in fact, our passage this morning, we find that one leads to the other. Living according to the gospel is not somehow superior, like that quote would lead you to believe, is not somehow superior to proclaiming the gospel with words. The preaching of the gospel leads, rather, to living according to the gospel. And according to what Paul says here in verse 5, the gospel came to the Thessalonians in word. It, in fact, came to them in word, just not word only. Paul goes into the details of this in other places, like, say, Romans chapter 10. In verse 17 of Romans chapter 10, Paul writes, So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. Faith comes through hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. And then just a couple of verses earlier, Paul writes, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear with some, without someone preaching? Paul affirms in Romans chapter 10 that the gospel does in fact need to be proclaimed with words. And what he's saying here isn't that it doesn't need to be proclaimed with words, just right action, but rather what he is saying is that it doesn't come just in word only. Spoken words heard by a recipient is a required step in believing the gospel. This is what we would refer to simply as a gospel call. Someone pro proclaiming the gospel in words to someone who has not yet believed the gospel, they hear with their ears. It is a required step in believing the gospel. When you hear someone speak the gospel with words and a call to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, you're hearing the gospel call. But Paul says that it's not just in word only that the gospel came to the Thessalonians. And why would he say that? <clears throat> Excuse me. Why would he say that it was not just word only? Because he was convinced, he was fully convinced, that the gospel came to the Thessalonians in more than mere words. And so then, in verse 5, we learn how the gospel came to the Thessalonians. This is our second idea this morning, and you'll see it right there in verse 5. The gospel came to the Thessalonians in, the, in power and in the Holy Spirit. Have you ever made something, uh, like made something that you wanted to eat, and you forgot a critical ingredient in in the recipe, like you forgot the salt or the vanilla or the cheese? Don't forget the cheese, because without the cheese, like broccoli, ch cheddar soup, 
broccoli cheese soup just becomes sad broccoli. That's just, it's gross. I mean, eat your broccoli. Paul is describing here, in this verse, a critical ingredient in an effective gospel call. Paul describes here in verse 5 a critical ingredient in an effective gospel call. Without the power of the Holy Spirit, the gospel is just words. If the hearers of the gospel, if the hearers of the gospel are respond to the gospel in genuine repentance, turning from their sin and faith, trusting Christ with all of their lives and living according to his word, if the if the recipients of the gospel are to respond to the gospel in repentance and faith, the power of the Holy Spirit must be present. Critical ingredient. Friends, some of you in this room this morning might have heard the gospel and you thought to yourself, yeah, that sounds good. Jesus died for me. Cool. I get to live forever. That sounds good. But in your hearing and even mental assent to the realities of what was spoken, you did not, as the Thessalonians did, receive the gospel in the power of the Holy Spirit. And because it is the power of the Holy Spirit that must accompany the gospel call in order to give you new life, you do not have new life. The Holy Spirit... Throughout Scripture, throughout the New Testament, we're introduced to the, whole, the, the Holy Spirit, and he is, he is the giver of life. In John chapter 3, Jesus starts talking to Nicodemus, a Pharisee. He starts talking to him about the Holy Spirit. Jesus, you'll remember this section because Jesus talks to Nicodemus about being born again. And oftentimes we refer to ourselves as Christians as those who are born again. Jesus starts talking to Nicodemus about how to be born again, or we might say how one can have new life. Same idea. When you see those ideas in the New Testament, new life in Christ or new creation or born again, or talking about what you can only have in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus says to Nicodemus, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. The Holy Spirit is the giver of new life. Now, What I just said is if the gospel came to you in word only and not in the power of the Holy Spirit, then you are still in need of new life. But what's good about this, if you're sitting there and saying, I don't know what's going on here, the, the good news here in this passage this morning is that this isn't a coin toss. You're saying, I don't know if it came to me in the Holy Spirit. I don't know if it came to me in the power of the Holy Spirit or just in words. But what Paul is writing to the Thessalonians is that they can in fact be sure and be confident that the the power of the Holy Spirit was behind the words, the gospel that was spoken to them. And you can be confident that the gospel came to you in the power of the Spirit. Again, I want you to see just how confident 
Paul is that this is true of the Thessalonians. Paul is confident that the Thessalonians have new life in Christ, and Paul is confident that the Thessalonians, that the gospel was effective among the Thessalonians. And so if you're asking yourself, how can I be confident like Paul is confident about the Thessalonians? We look at the evidence that Paul cites then that makes him, causes him to be confident. And that's found in verse 3 again. The work of faith, the labor of love, the steadfastness of hope. What are these three things? A work of faith is an act that proceeds from faith. A a work of faith is something that you do in direct obedience, not knowing how God is going to work it out, but you look in his word and you see, you see clearly, this is how God has commanded me to live. And you do it trusting God fully, even when it doesn't make sense. Trusting that God's ways are better than man's. Not relying on worldly wisdom, but living a life in obedience to God's word. A labor of love is a selfless act, putting others above oneself even to the point of great personal cost. And steadfastness of hope that Paul cites here is a forward-looking patient endurance in this life, believing that King Jesus will return and set all things right. Now, before we move on, I want you to, 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 to see a critical element of what Paul writes here. Because you, as a person in the pews this morning, can go home and sit down on your couch and think to yourself, are these evidences real in my life? And you can spin into despair. You can think to yourself, I don't see any of these in my own life. But the model that Paul lays out for us here isn't introspection. It's not just you thinking about these things for yourself. It's for you being engaged in a faithful community of faith, a body of Christ, a local church, where the men and women and boys and girls in that community of faith know you well enough to point to you and say, I see God at work in you. I see God at work in you. I see the steadfastness of hope that God has produced in you despite the difficulty that you're enduring. I see that you, uh, you have self-sacrificially laid down many things for the benefit of your brothers and sisters in Christ so that they might know very clearly who Jesus Christ is. You see brothers and sisters in Christ and they point to the fact that, that you have trusted Christ through immense hardship. In the good times and bad, you look at your life and say, am I being obedient to Jesus Christ? Buffalo City Church, I've seen this happen in and among you time and time again. It is clear to me that for many of you in this room, the gospel came to you in the power of the Holy Spirit because I can confidently say, like Paul says of the Thessalonians, I can confidently say of you that I've seen work of faith, labor of love, steadfastness of hope marking your lives. You desire to obey Jesus and all that he's commanded you. You believe that Jesus' ways are better than yours. 
You stand ready to serve one another, your brothers and sisters, at great personal cost to yourself, showing brothers and sisters in Christ self-sacrificial love, walking as Christ walked, laying down your life for the lives of others. You look forward. You look forward to the return of Christ. You hope in the reality that the resurrection from the dead is for you and that it belongs to you and that it in fact will happen. For you to whom the gospel came in the power of the Holy Spirit, these are visible marks on your life, but don't be tempted to go home and be introspective and be gloomy humdrum. I don't see any of this stuff in my life. Go to a brother and sister in Christ, look at their life and speak the truth of the marks of the gospel that came to them in the power of the Holy Spirit to them. Remember last week we talked about being grateful and even writing things down and sharing them with one another. A church that is marked by gratitude for one another and what God is doing in one another around them is a church that will be confident that these things are taking place, that the work of faith and the labor of love and the steadfastness of hope are realities. The gospel came to you in the power of the Holy Spirit and your life has been transformed. And James says... He tells us that, that we are to be doers of the word and not hearers only. Those who are doers of the word and hearers only do not deceive themselves. And those to whom the gospel came in the power of the Holy Spirit, those ones will be doers of the word and not hearers only. And you need a community of faith around you. You need brothers and sisters in Christ who know you well enough to know what it is that God is doing in your life so they can speak this assurance to you like Paul speaks it to the Thessalonians. I, don't, I want you not to miss that critical ingredient here. Paul doesn't wait for them to make self-assessment. He makes assessment for them. He sees it in them. And with confidence, with great distance between him and them, he says, I want you to know, for we know, our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul says that there is one other way than that they can be sure that the gospel or how the gospel came to the Thessalonians. And that is the, our third idea this morning, that the gospel came to the Thessalonians in full conviction. You can see that they're halfway through verse 5. Our gospel came to you not only in the word, but also in the power and the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Now, what does Paul mean there? What does he mean by full conviction? Does he mean that the Thessalonians received the gospel with full conviction? Well, that may be true. When they heard the gospel, they received it with full conviction. What I think that Paul is saying here is that he and Silas, when they brought the gospel to the Thessalonians, he's highlighting the way that it came to them. Paul and Silas brought the gospel to the Thessalonians with full expectancy 
They were expecting that the Holy Spirit would use the message of the gospel to bring new life into the Thessalonians. He came in full conviction. I am expecting that the power of the Holy Spirit will bring new life in you and begin to produce in you the markers of the Christian life. Here at Buffalo City Church, we value the preaching of the word in this setting, in congregational worship, and we believe that every believer should be present in congregational worship every week for the proclamation, in order to hear the proclamation of God's word. And I don't hesitate to say that. I don't hesitate to say that every believer needs to be present among a a community of faith where the word is preached faithfully every single week. If you look in the book of Acts, the, the model, you see many sermons preached in the book of Acts, and they're usually accompanied by a move of the Holy Spirit resulting in spiritual transformation of the hearers, either the the new life that's imparted to them was not, or the full maturation and, and, uh, and transformation of the hearer uh, for those who are already in Christ. And historically, true and lasting revival has been accompanied by the week in and week out faithful preaching of God's word. And the act of preaching is proclamation of what God has said in his word and is fully expectant that the Holy Spirit will use the act to bring new life in those who do not have it and form into the image of Christ those who do. And so much of preaching in the world we live in, so many churches around us don't care anything more about entertainment, they don't care about anything more than fun stories or clever quips or a list of life hacks from some kind of website. We reject that notion that strips the act of preaching of its power. We don't think that you come to get a TED Talk every week. I love TED Talks. They're wonder- there's a lot of really great fun things, but there is no Holy Spirit power and accompaniment in a TED Talk. Friends, do you long for the Holy Spirit's work in your life, the transformative power of the Holy Spirit's work for your life? Then, one of the main things that you need to be giving yourself to is being present every week for the preaching of the word in congregational worship. And the reason we value preaching of the word at Buffalo City Church isn't because we think we're particularly good at it or because we... We, because we think that we have some great stuff to say, but because we, when we get up here and we stand behind the pulpit, believe that the Holy Spirit will use what's being said to bring about transformation and new life in the, in the hearers. So when I step into the pulpit, that is the belief that I have. That is what I try to remind myself when I step into the pulpit on a Sunday morning. My preparation or my eye contact or my tone of voice or whatever it is that I'm doing with my hands right now is not going to change your life. But the, whole, the power of the Holy Spirit working powerfully through the word of God will. And this is the full conviction that Paul and Silas came to the Thessalonians in. They were fully convinced that the power of the Holy Spirit was at work through the good news they proclaimed. 
And it was proven through the way that the Thessalonians responded. They responded in repentance and faith, and the markers of the Christian life were produced in them. And the report that Timothy brings to Paul contains all of that. I see the love that the Thessalonians have for one another. I see that they are continually working, acting in obedience because they trust God and what his word says. And I see them looking forward to, in the midst of intense persecution, I see them looking forward to the day when Christ returns. If we, as those who are proclaiming the word to you from the pulpit this morning, if those men, the elders here at Buffalo City Church, or anyone else who steps into this pulpit is expecting that the Holy Spirit will do work, the work of spiritual transformation in your life, then you, as the hearer, need to come equally as expecting. You know what we're about. When you come to congregational worship, you need to be equally as expectant as the preacher. Men, specifically to you, if you have kids in the home, if you're married, have kids in the home, this is something, a way that you can provide spiritually for your wife and children. Sometimes as men, we think that spiritual leadership in the home looks like leading a two-hour Bible study every evening. We know that that's relatively impractical. Our lives should be lived in such a way that is always communicating the truth of God's word to our kids. And we should be speaking regularly to them about God and the Bible and the things of God and how our lives are impacted by small things that we do, like we were talking about with everyday faithfulness. But men, sometimes what we do is we get to Sunday morning and we're a little burned out because we spent a lot of time doing some activities on Saturday. Um, and your wife suggests, do you, do you want to go to church this morning? You're kind of saying, yeah, I'm not really into it. But men, what you need to be doing as the head of your household, as the spiritual head, is providing spiritual nourishment for your family. And so hearing the word of God preached in the midst of congregational worship is one of the primary ways that you can ensure that your family is fed spiritually. To neglect to or to stand in the way of, men, of, of coming to congregational worship for your family is, in fact, putting a block in front of their spiritual nourishment. This is important for us. It's important for you to know that the hearing of the preached word on a Sunday morning is not something we do just for information transfer but because we believe in the power of the Holy Spirit, this is one of the primary ways that God shapes us. Just like Paul came expectantly and in full conviction that the Holy Spirit would shape and bring new life into the Thessalonians, so we believe that through the preached word in the midst of congregational worship, uh, we will be transformed and shaped and new life will be breathed into our congregation. And for all of us, like Paul, we must come into this time during the week, every week, believing and expecting that the Holy Spirit will work in us to bring about new life, to make us more like Jesus, to produce in us work of faith, labor of love, steadfastness of hope. 
So that brings us to a conclusion, just two things, maybe three here that I, I want to I think about. Implications of this text this morning. We've talked about these a lot already, but let me just say them clearly. A church that expresses gratitude to God and to one another for God's work in one another will be a, will be a church made up of people who are confident in their salvation. A church that expresses gratitude to God and to one another for God's work in one another will be a church made up of people who are confident in their salvation. Paul knew, and so he wants to reassure the Thessalonians of the gospel's work in their life, loved by God, chosen by God. He wants them to know that and to be confident that those two markers on their life are realities. Paul knew that the gospel is the power to God and to salvation for those who believe. And so he references the Thessalonians' faith. That the gospel came to them and not in word and only, but also in the power, and full, uh, the power of the Holy Spirit and full expectancy that it would bring about that transformation. And this ties us then back to last week where we talked about lives of everyday faithfulness. Do we want our lives to make an impact? Life, if we live a life of everyday faithfulness in the seemingly small and insignificant things, then we will be grateful and express gratitude to God for our brothers and sisters in Christ. So again, like last week, we must express and ask God to be strengthened in gratitude because there's a direct tie in this passage between the confident assurance that we have and that your brothers and sisters in Christ have in their salvation and our willingness to express gratitude to God for one another. So... Ask God to be strengthened in gratitude, and not only internally, but to express that gratitude to those around you. Because through that expression of gratitude to God for his work and brothers and sisters in Christ, we will be confident in our salvation. Satan is a deceiver. It's in his name. And one of his strategies is to disrupt the confidence that you have in your salvation by sowing lies. He says some things like, how could God love someone like you? Why would God save someone like you? You've done far too much garbage in your life to expect God to do something for you, to step in and to save you. He's already moved on. Satan is a deceiver. And so our expressed gratitude to God for one another becomes a weapon of our warfare against Satan and his schemes. Friends, this morning it may be you, but it may not be you. It just may be all those people around you this morning who are thinking to themselves, I don't know where I stand before God. And a word of assurance that the Holy Spirit prompts in you to them might build their confidence. I see God at work in you. Arm yourself with gratitude. 
When you're tempted to believe Satan's lies, a trusted brother or sister in Christ expressing their gratitude to God for his redemptive and sanctifying work in your life will be a great assurance to you. A church that expresses gratitude to God and to one another for God's work in one another will be a church made up of people who are confident in their salvation. Second concluding thought, a church should gather weekly for congregational worship, expecting the power of the Holy Spirit to accompany the preached word and transform lives. Again, we put a high emphasis on attending congregational worship. We've talked a lot over the years about building community. We've talked a lot about how we should joyfully obey the command to gather together weekly. But friends, you need to add this into your list of why congregational worship is an essential for the Christian life. Because through the preached word, God transforms through his Holy Spirit lives. The Holy Spirit uses the preached word to bring about new life. And the Holy Spirit uses the preached word to make us more like Jesus Christ. This is not the exclusive way that he does these things, but it is one of the primary ways that is laid out in Scripture for us in order to be transformed into the image of Christ. We're not here this morning because of the social engagement. You like the people here, I hope. You like to see them on Sunday. You like to shake their hands and give them a hug and say, hey, how was your week? But it's not social primarily. We're here to be made more like Jesus, to learn to live, to walk as he walked. Finally, question for you this morning. Did the gospel come to you in power in the Holy Spirit or in word only? You may be here and you're like, I don't know what Jesus, who Jesus is. I think I can agree with you mentally, but I don't really know what any of this is. But your life doesn't agree with what's going on in your head, and the fruit of the Christian life is not evident in you. You do not believe God's word and disobey it. You're uninterested in enduring personal costs to show love to one another, and you fret about your life, hoping it all pans out, but you can't really be sure. That makes you a hearer and not a doer. And friends, if that's you this morning, there's one simple, one simple thing that I have to say to you, one simple exhortation, it's come to Christ. And trust in Christ. There's nothing that you can do to get yourself more ready than you are in this very moment. You come to him with everything as is. He stands immediately ready to receive you. He stands immediately ready. There's nothing that you need to do except trust Jesus Christ and turn from your sin and rely on the Holy Spirit for the new life that you need. Expect that the Holy Spirit will give you new life and produce it in you. Produce the work of faith and the labor of love and the steadfastness of hope. Trust that he will bring you into this community of faith and that you will be in fact part of what's going on here. Not because you look like or talk like the people here, but because you share in a similar heritage and in a similar inheritance. One that doesn't, isn't dictated by the blood that flows through your veins, or the choices that you make, but because you are in Christ. The call is now. You don't have to do anything other than sit quietly in your heart, turn from your sin, trust Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin. Don't wait. Your life is a vapor. Come to Christ now.
He stands with open arms, freely ready to receive anyone, everyone. He welcomes you into God's family. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this passage this morning. God, would you prompt in us even now confident assurance? Would you prompt in us the, the, the desire through your Holy Spirit to express to brothers and sisters in Christ how we see God, how we see you at work in them? God, would you change Would you change our hearts and transform us, even in these moments as we sing in response? To be people who do not see exclusively the the problems with the people around us, but those who see you at work in them. Change us, transform us, make us more like Jesus. Give us opportunity, even in the moments that follow this service, to express that gratitude to one another. God, may we be a church that is confident, confident in the salvation that you've provided to us in Jesus Christ because we express readily and continually the way that we see you at work in the lives of one another. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.